0: Welcome to the Denver Sports Podcast. I'm here with Derek. This is your boy, Quinn. And the first bit of fascinating Denver news is not sports related, but the fact that nearly every school from Greeley to Colorado Springs was canceled today, not because of a snow day, but because of vague yet very credible threats made by one 18-year-old woman from Florida in relation to the Columbine Massacre that happened 20 years ago this week. Um, very strange news. It seemed to happen very fast, and we still don't have a lot of news about it. Uh, she was reported dead at the base of Mount Evans several hours ago. Um, but with all that information, there's so much more to the story that we have no idea.
1: And it it really does. I mean, as we talk about sports, it's really hard to get through your day without like this being a big part of it. And I think that that's sort of where we are where we talk about sports is like we acknowledge that sports are a part of people's lives but also this escape from people's lives and Mm -hmm. it's hard to really balance those two when you think about like how this affects our lives and then we're very invested in two playoff series with the abs and the nuggets that like have consumed our lives
0: yeah i mean i went to bed last night watching a recap of a game i was actually at um only then to be interrupted by several text messages from different co-workers who work in schools and then actual the DPS and APS systems letting us know that there's no school
1: tomorrow. And for DPS, they've had multiple snow days and a strike, and then this. like These kids just have every reason you could ever miss school.
0: Yeah, the, every reason. This was like the last one that you could think of, but um, as you were talking earlier... Like 20 years ago, Columbine was like one of those first moments that really kind of shifted the role of like a community when it comes to tragedies. But then specifically sports and realizing that sports is part of a bigger thing. And I think for
1: me, I mean, you know, my real introduction to a lot of sports was in elementary school like the P.E. where you just have all kinds of different sports. And being able to play outside and recess and like that connection to like your roots of sports outside of any sort of organized thing. And today I went by my old elementary school, which is by Wash Park, where I go and walk a lot. And, you know, there was no one there because school was canceled. And I remember the thing I remember most about Columbine is we weren't allowed to go outside and no one would tell us why. And that that feeling in those conversations that, you know, I remember having with my family and now people having to have that conversation again you can never be that far away from that conversation anymore. And I think that that is really hard and also just like a reality yeah. of our lives.
0: Dude, yeah, that that point kind of left me shook, thinking like there might be a few kids today who lost a bit of their innocence. when I mean, getting to one celebrated, like, no school, but it's like, it's not snowing, why don't we have school? And then having to have an adult probably awkwardly and cautiously tell them about the fact that people might want to hurt kids, ugh. Um- But luckily, no one harmed. Uh, it seemed as if this is a woman who just desperately needed help. Um, unfortunately, she wasn't able to get it, but um, again sparks a larger conversation uh, and the fact is, sports is life and sports is a part of politics. and so um, we'll leave that for more qualified folks. And but. just
1: real quick, two things sort of related to Columbine. Uh, Frank DeAngelis, the principal, just wrote a book with Terry Fry, the great sports writer. It oh. just came out. Um, so I'd highly recommend that. Uh, I believe it's called, They Call Me Mr. D. And um, a guy that I know through producing, he used to produce the Rockies broadcast, Mike Rotolo, is working on a documentary about the Columbine football team and the fall after that that's going to come out this fall. So oh, I'm really? excited for that. But I think um, both of those in a lot of ways focus on both the people affected and the, the people who are no longer with us. And that's really like the remembrance of Columbine that I think we all need mm. in this time.
0: Yeah, well, prayers up to the survivors, and that includes not just the people there, but the f- support system that had to be there. Um, amazing, dude. we ain't as young as we used to be. 20 years. All right, let's go on to other sports. To the crux of our meeting today. Um, the Pepsi Center. The old can is just popping off recently. Um, today will mark the third night in a row that playoff sports is happening there. Um, the eighth seed Colorado Avalanche have a 2-1 lead over the one seed Calgary Flames. And um, tonight, second home game for the Avs. What are your predictions, Derek? Or actually, how are you feeling about yeah, our Avs right now? I
1: think that it is weird you know the avs in their early career were so good so dominant two stanley cups a half dozen western conference finals and they haven't been good in years and this is their game tuesday night was the best game in the playoffs they have played in probably at least a decade probably 15 years oh. and that was really interesting to see i think that been in a lot of playoff series. I find the seven game series really fascinating because every game, the narrative shifts and the abs being up 2 one being the road team, not only do they have, um, home ice advantage because all they have to do is win their home games and they win the series at this point. Um, but they also like, if they win tonight, they have three chances to get that one more game. And the three, one lead is just so much bigger. And so that's very exciting at the same time. If it gets back to two to two it's just a best of three, and the abs have to go to two of those on the road mm. and so all of that is sort of playing around and just one game makes such a big difference in the way things are going in a seven game series.
0: Well, so watching them on Tuesday night, they look like a team that is unbeatable, that everyone was firing at all cylinders, and especially Nate McKinnon seemed to be playing with the knowledge that he is like the best person on the ice at any given point and that the supporting cast is the best supporting cast at any given point, how possibly can they lose if they looked that good the other night?
1: Well, I think the first thing is if they get too confident, that's a really big problem. Mm. The other thing is Calgary's best players have not played well. Johnny Goudreau, Johnny Hockey, who is the second best player in the series, hasn't really done anything. The Flames have not looked good at even strength. You know, a lot of their goals have come on the power play, and they have been outplayed for at least two full games. The game that the Avs won game two that they won in overtime, the Flames were outplayed. The Avs had 84 shot opportunities in that game. They only had 80 in this last one, even though they managed 56 shots, which tied an NHL record for most shots in regulation. Wow. Um, They also were at least, it was at least even if not advantage Avs for the first half of game one. So Calgary really can only point to Half a game where they were the dominant team, and they were the number one seed in the Western Conference. So complacency on the ABS part, injuries, which is always the big problem, and just the inexperience of where the ABS are right now. They're the better team right now.
0: Oh, um, and in part, like one of the I saw on like ABS Twitter and Avs' Reddit that grown men were getting chills watching the new. Hopefully, phenom that uh, we got, Kale Makar. Um, how does that work? How does a dude like who was just in college, hop onto the ice and then make a like significant presence? Well, one thing is Kale
1: just has skills that you don't see really anywhere. Like they're just they transcend the game. He's so fast. His passes, like I don't know how much you saw of this, but he was making passes like Jokic makes passes where he was making no-look passes. And the guys weren't there because they don't know him. But that's the ability. McKinnon said on McCarr's goal that McCarr called for a drop pass in his first NHL game where he's just like, drop it back to me, and then scored that goal. So he, he understands the game of hockey. He sees the game of hockey differently and can score. The other thing is everyone kind of knew he shouldn't have been in college hockey this last year. Like He was good enough to play in the pros from day one. Mm. If he had not gone back to UMass, he would have been on the abs roster at game one, and so he just got a whole extra year of development, and it was like their secret weapon that they were hiding, but no one could have expected as good of a game as he had. Really, he had a couple stumbles in the second period, but otherwise had some takeaways, played very well in his own zone, and helped on the offensive end. So
0: his presence immediately took away the sting of getting the fourth pick in a draft that the Avs clearly should have gotten the first. Um, So it's... It was really cool to see. Like, I think Mika Rantanen also got two assists. Like All the guys that you want to show up showed up with like a big surprise in Makar. Um, so the key to tonight is what exactly? Now they have the home ice advantage. They have the confidence and some role players. Uh, solid role players. What is the key to a win?
1: I think just applying the pressure. Just keeping up the fast pace. You know... Not only has McKinnon, Ranton and Landis played well, some of the the depth forwards have played really well. Jost has been incredible. He hasn't scored yet, but he looks like the guy the Avs thought they were getting two years ago when he came up at the end of his season from uh, one of the North Dakotas. North Dakota State, maybe. <laughs> um, and so that's really exciting to see. Kerfoot has helped a lot on that top line. So those guys can keep doing that. And... The Avs can play well defensively. Grubauer <laughs> Grubauer made a lot of good saves, but two Avs defense... Or Landeskog and Ian Cole both took pucks to the head to stop goals in that game the other night. Um, so they need to work on positioning a little bit, but really it's just about not playing into the Flames game. The Flames tried to start a lot of stuff in that game. The Avs held their edge. You know, six players got kicked out at the end of that game. Mm, when um, they
0: start stuff, they were like... Picking fights? Yeah, pick, oh, okay. picking
1: fights. And the best part was when uh, Landis Gog and uh, Matthew Kachuk went at it, and Kachuk was just throwing all these sucker punches while Landis Gogg was on the ice, and they cut to Keith Kachuk, great NHL future Hall of Fame defenseman, and he's just shaking his head at his son's antics on the ice. Like, that's how bad Kachuk oh. has played, that his father was embarrassed to see oh, him. Oh, that's...
0: Well, it's not quite as embarrassing as the dude who got the pleasure of being knocked out by Alexander Ovechkin. Um, But, I mean, that's playoff hockey. Like, there's an assumption that, like, bows are going to be thrown, especially if you're the one seed losing um, in a really important game. Not quite as bad as the Lightning, though. Actually, like, real quick for those who don't know, what happened to the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well, according to their coach, they had no adversity all year,
1: and they couldn't deal with it once they got to the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) So that guy's probably not going to have a job much longer. But they had a 127-point season. To put that in perspective, when the Avs won the West a couple years ago, they had 116 points. So it was 10 points better than that. I think it was close to 20 points better than what Calgary had. Like They were dominant as the best team, and they couldn't get it together. They had a couple key injuries and just fell apart. At the same time, the Blue Jackets are one of those sneaky teams like the Abs, that played well late. Like they had to play well to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And sort of how it works, you know, in the NFL, it's not who has the best season, it's who's hot late. That's sort of what Columbus did, and that's what the Abs are trying to do. And so they swept uh, Tampa Bay in fourth games, one of the worst collapses in hockey, at least. Like,
0: uh, kind of comparison, Tiger Woods just had like the greatest comeback in recent sports history, and the Lightning had just the worst collapse in recent sports history? Well, and even worse, Columbus, I'm pretty sure Columbus was the only team that
1: has never made it to the second round of the NHL playoffs. I would really have to think about it to think who else could even be in that category. Um, and they'd never won three games. Last year they won two games against Washington and then got swept the rest of the way, lost four in a row. That was the best they'd ever done before that. So they don't have no history of winning, and they traded a bunch of guys. They pulled a hail mary at the trade deadline, traded for a bunch of guys like Matt Duchesne, um, and are like sort of like we're going all in this year and not caring about the future at all.
0: And it, it was one hell of a gamble that it's worked thus far. Yeah, like they've already overachieved. Clearly. Yeah,
1: they have, and I mean it's sort of the reverse Avalanche where the Abs did almost nothing at the trade deadline. They're playing for the future. The Blue Jackets are playing for now. They need it to work now.
0: Well, that's really interesting. So it could be, fingers crossed, that both one seeds in the NHL get knocked out in the first round, um, which is really cool. Let's just talk about parity in sports. That Well, in one of the great teams of the last decade,
1: the Pittsburgh Penguins also got swept by the New York Islanders, who were supposed to be bad this year. They lost their best player to Toronto, no one thought they were going to be good at all, and they've been able to pull it together by getting uh, Barry Trotz, who was the Washington Capitals coach last year, and then they couldn't re-sign him, and just playing well defensively and have been able to, uh, to knock off the Penguins, who were the lower seed, but still like no one thought the Islanders would do that, especially in four games. And then looking at the other uh, series – San Jose is down 3-1, to one, and they're the two seed in the Avs region. Vegas is up 2-1 on them, so Oof. or 3-1 on them. So if the Avs win, it looks like they're going to be playing Vegas most likely in the second round.
0: Oh, that'll be exciting, yeah. especially for all the Vegas fans who live in Denver that came out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> well, in the cheap flights to Vegas, so there'll be a lot of Avs fans out there. Oh, yeah, there,
0: totally. So. Um, is this a year where the Maple Leafs are going to get past the Bruins? They're up two-one right now. I think those. I think we talked about this
1: before, but those are the second and third best teams in the Eastern Conference. And now their path has gotten a lot easier because Columbus be- knocked off um, Tampa Bay. I guess mm. the Capitals are also up there in that ca- that uh, distinction as the best East teams. But it's going to be a-, a rough series still. Toronto leads, and they have now taken the home ice advantage. They have another game at home. Uh, sort of like the Avs, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there.
0: Oh, cool. Well, this is a great time to hop on the Avs bandwagon first and foremost, but to make yourself look like you know things, just talk about how the Lightning blew. Um, (laughs) The the greatest, uh, one of the greatest seasons ever to get swept by an eight seed. And
1: Uh, a lot of Penguins and Lightnings fans are jumping on the Avs bandwagon, which old-time hockey fans from like 20 years ago, Cannot believe that anyone would be like, the Avs are an underdog team. It's like, no, they're like a dominant team. They didn't deserve to have all the success they did. And now they're the underdog
0: story, which is kind of fun. Oh, good, good. It's good company. The bandwagon will be open, I will say, for another four hours until the game starts. And in which case, you have to have your allegiances locked in. And if somehow the Avs lose,
1: then anyone can get back on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about the Nuggets. So the Nuggets were able to tie up their series last night against the San Antonio Spurs. They were down early, and then it took a lot of effort. Jamal Murray, in particular, started off the game terrible, only scored two points until the end of the game in the fourth quarter when he was able to score 23 points and lead the team to victory.
0: For the most part, it's such a psychological thing. And it really just seems like Jamal Murray looked up at the scoreboard and was like, "Okay, I guess I'll play like a star now and then he just every shot he took he made and you could see it's so cool that he has a nickname i feel like the nuggets for so long just have not had any like cool personalities but like the blue arrow like got his like power up or whatever and then just started firing away and single-handedly brought that game back um We always knew it was going to be tough. A lot of the outsider conversation about the Nuggets is that they're pretend contenders. And in the last month of the season, of course, I'm never going to talk bad about my team, but I I was preparing my heart for being let down, especially against the Spurs. Greg Popovich is the scariest coach on earth outside of Bill Belichick. Um, And he's only not number one because he's actually likable if you're not playing him. Um... So for the Nuggets to face adversity twice now, they just barely lost game one. Kind of in a similar fashion where they just like decided not to hit shots for a good long while. Um, I think it's there's hope in that the Spurs haven't played that much better than the Nuggets. The Nuggets just haven't played great. Um, but they're going into San Antonio where I think they've have a fifteen game losing streak.
1: Something like that. I think it goes back to twenty twelve.
0: Twenty twelve. Think how different the world was. <laughs> in the nuggets were different.
1: They were still good in twenty twelve.
0: Yeah. A completely different cast of characters. I don't think there's a single person from that team on our team now.
1: No, I think that team no and then two years later is when they got Harris and Barton. Yeah.
0: Um so it's gonna be an interesting thing. Is there hope that they can steal one in San Antonio?
1: There has to be hope. But they're, they're going to have to have some great performances. And, I mean, they sort of had great performances last night. Gary Harris really is the one that saved the Nuggets in that game last mm. night because he played so well at the point to keep them close. Like, yeah. he was the one. He and then Jokic and uh, Millsap, to a lesser extent, were keeping them in the game. But Harris, when they needed a basket, he would just drive. Like, he was like, I. no one is going to stop me going to the rim. I'm just going to go. And just sort of surprised everybody. And that sort of... That was great for me to see because I feel like one of Harris's... I know you are too. We're big Harris guys. Oh, yeah. like He is like the secret weapon that we feel like people don't know about. Um, So that was great to see, and I was really happy about that, but I'm hoping that that translates going forward for him. But they're going to need that kind of performance from probably three guys to steal one of these next two games. Totally.
0: I mean, last night it was so cool to look at the box score and see four players with 20-plus points. That's the balance and depth that... We've been touting now for a couple of years thinking that that's going to be the key to success for the Nuggets. And it, yeah, it seemed like right, they have so many games where they're running like a relay race where it's, all right, one player is doing well, then they pass the baton to the other player. Um, but it, that's a tough way to go about winning a game because it relies on everyone having the sh- right stride at the right time as opposed, opposed to playing dominant throughout the whole game. Yeah. I'm so ready to see a blowout game. Um, you might see one, but I'm not sure you're going to like it. Well, the, I remember <laughs> looking at the mountains earlier yesterday. It's like, oh, it's basketball day in Denver. It'd be so cool to see a blowout. And then fast forward to the, like, the second quarter, watching them down by 19 points. It's like, yeah, this is what I get. Here's what I get for having hope. Um, but one really interesting thing that I think has really punctuated what was otherwise a great win and performance by Murray is that the Denver crowd as young and as inexperienced as we are with playoff basketball was not a great crowd at all um, in several ways. Yeah.
1: First of all, there was no energy going into the start of that game. It was dead in that building. And I think some of that was nerves. Like I think people were nervous, but there were like, it was half empty at tip off. And it did get full, but it took forever. Yeah, And it's not like it was was a 6 o'clock game. It was a 7 o'clock game. People had time to get there.
0: Yeah. And I think, well, I remember walking in and I was like, oh, so not t-shirts this time? We get towels? I've, like, game one was super hype. They had towels and these cool light-up wristbands. And I understand there's a production budget that they have to keep in mind. They, but,
1: they blew it on those wristbands which they, were cool because yeah. i saw them for the abs game they were great like the wristbands should be a staple
0: yeah i was kind of mad i was watching the portland okc game and i saw a little lights flashing in the stands i was like oh damn it this wasn't original um but yeah i think i mean there's so much like the production of the, like the stadium crew plays into it but the crowd was dead and then a lot of Nuggets Twitter and Reddit were blowing up over the fact that um, the crowd booed the players. They were down by 19. I feel, I I am a staunch supporter of my team, but I will admit I let out some sounds that could be um, mistaken for boos. They weren't, but it was close. Um, but specifically, a lot of that ire drew on one player who um, is infamous amongst the Nuggets faithful, which is Will Barton, who had a just awful shooting game and my question is what is the ethic of booing your own team is there a time and place what is that line exactly
1: i really think the only time that it is appropriate is when you feel like they're not giving the effort they should be giving like mm. that is that is when it, it feels like there's at least some some area where you feel like you should be allowed to boo them I think that in Barton's case, it was clearly not an effort problem. It wasn't that he was – I think people were booing because he needed to be out of the game. And this is a different problem where Malone had him in the game for too long. And that's why I feel like Malone should have known, like, oh, i got to get him out of there. He looks just awful. And we talked about it. We met up at the end of the first half, and we said – They need to tell Barton he can't shoot anymore. Yeah. And that would have solved most of the problems.
0: I mean, that's a tough thing. You don't make it into the league by being timid. He is a shooter shooter. Like, you you get the ball, you shoot the ball. That's what's got him this, what, $54 million contract that I wasn't a fan of um, because he's so streaky. And that's, that's one area where I feel like I'm a gatekeeper. I've been here long enough to... If, I get to, if I'm booing a player, it's because I have history, this player. Um, but Will Barton, he's really come into his own in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, he was injured for so much of the season. And unlike Gary Harris, it doesn't seem that he's been able to shake that off yet. Um, but, yeah, I mean, on one level, as a fan, I just felt bad for the dude. Because it's, yeah, you're talking about effort. He wasn't lazily shooting the ball. There were several just great open shots that didn't go in, and then at the end he definitely did look kind of shook. Um, when I admit when I did let out a sound that could be mistaken for a boo is when he got a pass, dribbled around for a second. I think could had enough time to pass it before the shot clock, but instead he had a weird fall away three, hand in his face that clanged right off the side of the backboard, and it just it was. Such a struggle, like, gather of the ball, jump, and shot, and then the end result, it was just... Yeah, I think a lot of the boo was frustration with, yeah, we are one of the deepest teams in the league, and I understand playoff basketball, it's different. You play fewer guys, but it's like, yo, if this isn't working, get someone else in there. Um, And, I mean, then he missed
1: two free throws. Like, he just didn't have the confidence at all. And I think the thing, like... There are several problems with this. First of all, everyone knows he shouldn't be a starter. He should be coming off the bench because he plays with energy, and energy guys can't be in a rotation. Like They need to have their space to create the way they create, and he doesn't fit into that, especially when you need Jokic to have the ball a lot of the time and you need Murray and Harris shooting early. Um, Second of all, he was hurt a lot of the year, and it's clear that he's just not in basketball shape. And third... He's a J.R. Smith player, which means that he's going to have good nights and bad nights, and it's up to the coach to be like, "Up, oh, it's a bad night. I'm taking him out immediately, and Malone won't do that. Yeah.
0: If, if, Malone seems to have such an affinity for Will Barton over anyone else. and like In those early rotations, Jamal Murray comes out, Gary Harris comes out, and then there's just Barton. Before he got pulled, he had the most minutes, um, only with Jokic right behind him. But it's still just like... I think the fans, and I myself who purports to be a pretty experienced one, I just don't understand what Malone sees in him, like we know the type of player he is. I was happy that we resigned him. I didn't think he was worth fifty four million, but it was in a year that people were just getting a lot of money, so it well,
1: and we didn't know that they we thought they had no other depth. We thought he was their one depth player at the time, yeah, because we didn't know Beasley was going to be good, we didn't know Morris was going to be good. Wancho had improved himself. Lyles was iffy. Like, they literally had no bench where you could be like, this is our bench. Like, they had four good players, and one of them was Paul Millsap, who had not been good. Yeah. So, like, all of that was around them re-signing him. It was, we don't have anybody else. We have Plumlee, and then we have three starters. So if we don't re-sign Barton, what are we going to do?
0: Yeah, and at that point in time, like, wing players who are, like, good defenders and shooters... I feel like as the NBA evolves and it's kind of like positionless basketball, those are the hardest positions to find consistency. And with Will, he's now one of the most tenured players on the team. Um, and I th- There's reports that he like took a team-friendly deal to stay with the team. So I appreciate that in that consistency. I can't recall how many seasons that the starting lineup one year was different than the starting lineup the next year. It was so it was nice to see those familiar faces, but we know who he is. He's a shooter. He's a slasher shooter. Can play good defense because he's long and has a motor, but he's of all of our starters, he's the guy I feels like less the least deserving to definitely be a starter, but it seems that Malone wants him in that lineup so much and it's the Nuggets were most successful like when the, they were like the miracle team was when he was hurt and then he had other guys step up and even in the season, in the game against Portland where none of the starters played, like in that case, Juancho Lyles, they all stepped up more so than we had seen previously. And so I just it's make or break at this point. You're in the playoffs. Um, you have a small chance to make it past the Spurs in San Antonio. I just want to see that they're trying different things. And I think that's where a lot of the bling came from, was like a frustration of complacency.
1: And I mean, this is a huge test for Malone, bigger than the Isaiah Thomas thing, because it's clear that Barton shouldn't be in the starting lineup. They can put Craig there, which is what I think they should do. They can put Beasley there. They can put Morris there. Barton is your fourth option at that position at this point to start the game. And I... Especially after their comments, and I agree with Jokic. I agree with Malone. You probably shouldn't boo a guy like that when he's down. Like it will. I don't think it was his fault. I think there's a lot more going on. I don't think he's right mentally, or, or at least basketball shape. And yeah. then he wasn't right mentally after the basketball shape thing. But it right now he needs to not be the starter.
0: Yeah. But, like, one of the things that you get clarity if Craig is in the lineup, and actually, I looked at the box scores. I mean, six minutes is too small of a time, but he was, like, negative 18 in six minutes. He didn't play well either. He certainly wasn't stopping DeRozan from making shots, but the clarity is, you know he's not going to be taking the shot. Right now, with everyone who's, like, a decent shooter, you just never know, at least with you never know who's going to take that shot, and I think that put Barton in a few positions where it's later in the shot clock. He's just going to fire one up. Um, well, and the fact that Millsap
1: has become an offensive option again in the last month completely changes that, too, because when Millsap wasn't shooting and just providing defense, then you only had three guys shooting, but Millsap has consistently gotten them points in yeah. every game for, like, the last six weeks, which is crazy.
0: There was a good portion where he was the only person who hit a three. Yeah. Um, yeah, There's like we don't need... Barton, or whoever is playing that position, to be an offensive threat. You're the fifth option if you're with the starters. And I feel like Craig plays that role better than Barton now. And yeah, Barton, if Barton's going to jack up 11, 12 shots a game, I think he has a better chance of making it against a second unit as opposed to the starters. Um, but I feel it's very unlikely for Malone to do that. So we'll see. It's interesting. Nuggets are playing with a fire. Like, Whatever inspired Murray to have that great game, I think it exists within all the other players as well. It's just going to... Yeah, Malone's biggest test is how do you manage this roster um, and like whatever adaptations you have to make against Greg Popovich or adjustments. Is, that's going to be really interesting story for Game 3 in scary San Antonio.
1: And we talked about this in the abs segment, but... The thing about being tied at 1-1 is Game 3 just becomes such a big deal. Like, if you win Game 3, you just are in the driver's seat for the series. Yeah. And I the Nuggets have to win one of these two games, because I just don't see how they can come back and win three in a row with one of those being back in San Antonio. No. That's... So it's a pretty big deal. Like, I think we're going to know. Like, if they don't win either of these games, I do you think they win Game 5 in Denver?
0: I almost wouldn't want them to, besides the fact that I know I'm going to be in attendance and I'd just rather see a win. But at that point, I mean, there's, there is such a young team that they ride so much on momentum that the execution is going to be iffy and it all depends on, like, if they can believe in themselves. And I think dropping two games in San Antonio, going down 3-1, being well aware of all the chatter, calling them first-round exits, um, that would be, I think, insurmountable. Um and in so many ways, just like prolongs the suffering, um, but I got hope. I think if they're able to take Game Three, they might be able to come out in Game Four and absolutely kick the shit out of them. Um, but then San Antonio is just like scary good with a bunch of guys you never thought would be that important.
1: Yeah. So quick hits before we end the show: Demarius Thomas is now a New England Patriot.
0: Gross. Just the beginning of last season. If you're to tell me that. Somehow, also the draft is this month, which I don't even <laughs> right.
1: know. So we will continue to not talk about that.
0: Yeah, uh, that's like in less than two weeks now, yeah, isn't I think
1: it? So I don't even know where it is. is. Is it in Chicago again?
0: Uh, no, it's in Nashville, and I only know that because they uprooted some cherry trees in front of like their convention center, and people were pissed about that.
1: I'm sure. I mean, the draft will come and go.
0: But, yeah, but those cherry trees—they yeah. came from Japan. <laughs>
1: Also, the Rockies ended their streak of not getting tacos for the first 17 games of the year and yeah. finally got tacos and have won three games in a three row. Three games in a row.
0: So the Rockies have now moved back into the ranks of legitimate major league teams after their stint in tr- AAA. Um,
1: they are Their winning percentage right now as we're recording this is 33%. They're a thirty-three percent team right now, which is
0: higher than I think any other pl- any of the players' batting average. Yeah, um. <laughs> um, yeah. It was.
1: I stayed up for the two a.m. game, where the Rockies lost at two in the morning <laughs> against the Giants, and Ionetta forgot to touch home plate, and that's how they lost. And I, at that point, I was like, "I'm done." They've won a few games. I'm happy, but. I, I have my friend Aaron said it best, until they get five to 500, it's hard to get really excited about their prospects for the rest of the year. Yeah,
0: I'm gonna, I've just gotten to the age where I'm not a masochist anymore. I'm not going to hold on. I'm not going to commit my time, like three hours almost every day, for a below 500 team. Um, and like, the Rockies, I was going to say, the roster could be better. But we don't know that. So many of the guys, it's like, oh, they could play better, are either hurt um, or just like big question marks. Arenado finally got his first home run, so that's a good sign. Um, but there's still just a lot of question marks. So, yeah, it'll be exciting. Maybe by next week we can do a 500, <laughs> like Rockies at 500 celebration party. But I'm not going to hold my breath for it.
1: I know. Here's a fun fact that we learned yesterday. Two Rockies legends have the same birthday. Nolan Arenado and Dinger.
0: <laughs> that, my friends, is the most important Rockies fact that we have today. <laughs> well, happy birthday, Nolan and Dinger. Um, you're both staples in the sports community. I know.
1: And actually, Nolan's a little older.
0: Really? But yeah. Okay, that makes... <laughs> Dinger for a second best mascot. We'll, we can...
1: we'll do that another time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. If you don't include college... There is an argument to be made. He's the second best mascot.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay, well, that's the first debate. Do we include college? Coming (laughs) at y'all next week from the Denver's.